Yo, what's up? Dr. Soul here, MD bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today I'm joined by Lauren Conlon, who is a master's in exercise science, an IFBB pro bikini athlete, and owner of Team Loco Fit. Today we're going to be talking about meal plans, if it fits your macros, and how to count macros, as well as some other associated nutrition topics that I think are going to be really helpful. So thanks for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to dive into all of this. Yeah, awesome. So we, we yeah, we we're just talking about how you know meal plans and the meal plan versus flexible dieting approach is a common debate in bodybuilding. And there are a lot of mm-hmm. other things that will also be helpful to discuss in this kind of range for people who want to optimize their physique and nutrition in a sustainable way. So yeah, I was thinking if we could start off, Lauren, just hearing about your research background and many any updates that have been happening in the literature? Yeah. So when I, I started my master's program with Dr. Bill Campbell um, and, you know, was sitting down, okay, what kind of research do you want to do? And, you know, this was when I, when we sat down about this, it was in 2014 and then I executed the research in 2015. So kind of bring yourself back to that, you know, several years ago um, where the industry was and IFYM was becoming super popular. It was like the science thing to do. Um, And then if you were doing a meal plan, you know, you're kind of that bro, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily. And, and to be fair, the people that I was around, the other coaches and myself coaching, we were seeing a lot of the repercussions of a rigid meal plan, right? Um, and kind of then I wrongly associated that with um, the, the meal plan itself, uh, which, we, which we can get into. But anyways, we're starting to see all these things. And we're like, all right, wouldn't it be really interesting if we looked at how, you know, a meal plan versus macros like affected somebody's, you know, diet. And at that point, again, I had started coaching. I had done several competitions myself um, and I'd seen those kind of afterwards, the after period. And that's such a crucial time. And, you know, started looking through the literature on weight regain and all of that. And I was like, man, like, why don't we look at also weight regain? Because it's really, really important to touch on this. Because like weight loss is one thing, but keeping that off. And of course, when we're going to talk about somebody who's in a bodybuilding or physique minded sport, you're not trying to maintain your weight loss. Right. But in the general sense, when we're talking about everybody else outside of that, outside of a weight cut athlete or a physique athlete, when you're dieting, you're most likely trying to maintain what you've lost. Um, So that was really the whole premise was let's look at these two things head on as far as a meal plan versus macros and how that affected weight loss and weight regain. So we looked at um, measured RMR, measured body fat on two different um, apparatus that so we used ultrasound and skinfold, um, of course, you know, body weight. And then we also did salivary leptin did not work. Don't ever waste your money on that. And that was a really great way to piss away a few thousand dollars. And, um, we also, um, administered an eating behaviors questionnaire. So I really liked the, um, the eating questionnaire because it was looking at eating behaviors and not necessarily trying to diagnose somebody with an eating disorder, um, which of course is super important, but that's not the population that we were looking at. So I, you know, there wasn't really a foundation to why I wanted to do this more so besides what we were kind of seeing. And so I was trying to take like the food psychology, eating behaviors, literature, and combine that with what we knew from the physiological side and say, okay, what are we going to (laughs) do? So essentially what we did was we split the group um, into two based on fat mass. So it was very even to start and we put them on a 10 week deficit um, and then either, you know, randomized to meal plan or macros. And then after the 10 weeks, we said, you can do whatever you want. You can keep dieting. You can rebound. You can maintain whatever you want to do, any type of plan, but just come back for testing. So we did baseline mid diet at the end of the diet. Um, mid, you know, regain period. And at the end of it, so we had five time points across those 22 weeks. Um, Cause there was a two week intro period. So that's why it's 22 weeks. And it was really, really eye-opening. I, it was myself and actually one of our coaches on Team Local Fit, Danielle, she was my research assistant at that point. Cause she was doing her undergrad there. Um, so it was me, her and Dr. Campbell. And we were like, we were there all those, like, it was, it was so much because we were, we were doing so much like each for each person, each time. So the weeks that we were doing it were just like super hectic. Um, and at that point it was just us in the lab. So it was really, really awesome though. And I got to really talk to the participants and like learn a lot, not necessarily for like the published study, but just more so for me, I was interested. And of course I've used all that information to apply it to my coaching today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I was thinking we could talk a little bit about, um, you know, the kind of meal plan versus flexible approach and just pros Uh, and cons. So the meal plan was as is a meal plan. Now 
it would have been really hard again remember like why we're doing this right we're seeing all these people come off of a meal plan not necessarily just competitors but just people in general um, who are coming off of a meal plan having these negative adaptations um so we couldn't have made it that extreme right we weren't going to be like here's tilapia and broccoli and please come back to my research study that i'm not paying you for like mm -hmm. obviously it wasn't going to be that drastic um but it was a meal plan and there were several options um but it was certainly more rigid than anything else right and then the flexible group was just that it was IFYM tracking macros, um, three macros, and then we gave them a how to track macros ebook because the meal plan is pretty self explanatory. We can't then coach the macro group. That wouldn't have been fair, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, because it was randomized, there were some people in the study who were like, I don't even know what protein is. Like, right. And there are some people who experienced macro trackers. So, for the people who didn't have any food education, going into the meal plan group was actually pretty useful for them. They were like, oh, this is really nice. I understand portions now and I can like learn about what I should be eating and maybe what I should be avoiding. Yeah. Um, but then of course there were people in that group who were like seasoned macro trackers who were like, I do not want to eat on a meal plan. And then vice versa, right? There was people who had been tracking who were in the tracking group, which was great. And then there were people who didn't have any food education who were put into the macro group and they did not so great. Um, it was much more of a challenge for them. Of course, they were still able to execute it, but it was a huge learning curve. And that was a really big takeaway for me was because at that point, it was, again, that mindset of like, this is, there's one way to do it. This is the better way to do it. If you're doing, you know, if you're on a meal plan, like that's not sustainable. And it's like, well, maybe it's not sustainable, but maybe it's what we should be doing for people when they first start or some type of version of, you know, more education behind this instead of just saying, hey, here's three numbers figured out because that was kind of the prevailing notion at the time within the industry. So that was really useful to see like, okay, not everybody should use the same approach. And that sounds like, oh, obviously, right? Now that I have a lot more coaching experience, um, it makes a lot more sense, but this was still kind of new in my career um, and there was no research on it, right? So it was, it was pretty interesting to see. Um, as far as statistics go, there were no significant differences amongst any except for lean body mass in the flexible group in the post diet period. <laughs> um, so we went through everything. I mean, I'm talking, we went through their track because we would have them send in um, three day food recalls when they would come into us. We would track total calories, we tracked protein. Um, we were not in charge of their training, um, but we said track minutes spent exercising, um, resistance training and cardio. We looked at the minutes spent there. Uh, we looked at really everything. And there weren't really huge differences in that. Um, so that was interesting, but we did see this trend um, to where, you know, the flexible group did gain lean muscle mass um, mm. afterwards, or regained it essentially. And then um, the, the meal plan group did see like a, they saw this regain in body fat as expected, but the, um, the total calories they were, that they reported were still kind of low versus the weight gain that we saw in the flexible group what they reported they were eating made sense with that regain. Does that make sense? Hmm. So it just kind of was like a little bit of a mismatch there. And we spent so much time trying to like scratching our heads and consulting other people. Um, and I even did consult, you know, um, Eric Helms about this and, you know, we thought, okay, well maybe the, you know, some type of stress effect for this, that, and we just kind of were like, you know what, maybe it was just a weird method, you know, like a, a weird metric, everything else, pretty much no significant difference. This must be it. And then just recently, I think it was, well, it was in 2020, at the end of 2021, um, Eric actually reviewed this once the paper got published um, for mass. And he wrote a really, really great point in there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, and he even said in there, like, we talked about this and we just said, you know, it's just, it's just a random metric. Um, but he had a really great point that the flexible group, even if maybe they did struggle with tracking, they were still tracking for 10 weeks. So in that post diet period, when they were reporting back to us what they were eating, it was actually a lot more accurate versus the meal plan group when they reported back what they were eating they didn't really have those skills built up in those 10 weeks because they were just following the meal plan so they probably were not reporting as accurately um, afterwards so that's kind of why we saw that mismatch and that's really the only thing that we can think of um the way that i like to interpret it is as interpret it as it interpret it <laughs> is because ultimately it really depends on where the person is circumstantially, how much education they have, what they wanna do, what they're gonna be successful with. And that's what's great about taking a real evidence-based approach to see, okay, what does the literature say? But then also what works in practice? You know, We have mm -hmm. to see what 
works for them. Like that's what coaching is, right? Like science is science. Coaching is art and science. And you need to really take into consideration a lot of these aspects. So um, it was really eye-opening. It was one of the most important things that I did in my coaching career um, that really pivoted you know, the direction that we, you know, have taken our clients and really applying this idea of flexible restraint um, around eating and around eating behaviors, um, instead of just looking at like you're on a plan, you're off a plan, which is more of like a rigid mindset. Um, and to be fair, you can apply a rigid mindset to tracking macros. Um, there's a lot of rigid restraint that happens when we're talking about tracking macros. And I falsely used to associate flexible dieting with flexible restraint. And that's just not true. Um, it can be true, but it's not always true. And I know people who are, who were joking about, um, being neurotic earlier, well, me, not necessarily you, but, um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, I don't know you yet, but I've told you that I am, <laughs> um, but there's a, a lot of um, neurotic people who are drawn to obviously, you know, tracking macros and the tendencies that can evolve there. So just because it's a flexible approach, it's more flexible in nature than a meal plan doesn't mean that you're applying flexible restraint to that type of eating. Um, so that was really eye-opening for me to learn and to see and practice and then work with more people and then really, um, you know, like that kind of light bulb moment, like flexible dieting does not always mean flexible restraint. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that being able to apply that lens is what we've done with our coaching. Um, and it's, it's really become like my life's work essentially. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's cool to hear about <laughs> the research and how kind of there's been some ongoing dialogue, right. With, with this kind of thing, which is great. Yeah. I was thinking at, the, at this point, we could pivot a little bit towards more of the practical aspects of discussing meal plans versus flexible dieting for bodybuilders. And yeah. as you said, a lot of this comes down to practical aspects like what actually works for the athlete that we're talking about in question so yeah ultimately there's going to be some discussion of pros and cons here so i was thinking we could start off with just talking about meal plans and kind of the pros and cons in terms of advantages you know starting off i like a few advantages i see is that first of all some people like the predictability of having something that's kind of set that they don't really need to to worry about and it kind of reduces some of that decision fatigue where people, some people who have trouble, you know, deciding like, what am I going to eat today? Or if you just give them a, a blank set of macros, just be like, okay, hit 180, you know, 350. And they, they, they like stress out for like half an hour, like looking through their fridge or figuring stuff out. <laughs> it is decision fatigue is a real thing. And that increases the longer that you're dieting. Um, mm -hmm. And if we're going to talk about this in a bodybuilding specific context, mm -hmm. uh, that is, I mean, I always try to tell people like, we need to dial things in so much that you're just executing because it's at the end of a diet, when you are in a harsh calorie deficit and you are substantially leaner than your set point, the, any type of decision that you're going to make is going to feel very overwhelming. Even if it's like, should I have the apple or should I have the orange? Like literally it can become so overwhelming for people. Um, mm -hmm. And then what happens when we get to that position is that's when we're more likely to create unnecessary stress and potentially overeat. And we see that a lot with people. And it's like this paradoxical overeating to where you're like, wait, why am I doing this? But there's just a lot of things that are happening psychologically and physiologically we're trying to avoid. Um, so yes, having something in front of you makes a lot of sense. Um, and like, you know, you said predictability, that's a great one. And just also, you know, like, okay, hey, I don't wanna, I, I wanna focus on all these other areas in my life. And I would even say, if you are, um, you know, giving someone macros as, as a client, this is kind of like what I'm sure you do this too. Like I would do this anyway. I would say, okay, this is what I'm gonna make for the week. This is what I'm gonna eat every day. Um, and it's very important to have diet variability, like across weeks, but I would say like on a weekly basis, it's really nice to just like make the same thing. And like you go to the store, you know what you're gonna get, you're gonna prep X amount of meals, you're gonna do this. So you can do this with a macro-based approach or a meal plan approach. Um, but obviously the meal plan has the advantage of somebody just saying, hey, here's exactly what to do. Here's exactly what to buy. You don't have to think about it at all. Um, I'm not sure how it is um, in Canada, but in the US, technically only RDs are allowed to write meal plans. So um, there is obviously, you know, a little bit of a hindrance there. If you are a coach who's not an RD or doesn't have an RD on the team, um, technically you are not supposed to do that. Um, but, you know, a great way to get around that to support your clients is to say, hey, here's what I would suggest from a macro perspective. Um, and here's how I'd suggest that you break it down. Um, and, you know, what are some foods that you like? Like, let's talk through this. Um, let's figure out, you know, okay, we need this many sources of, of XYZ, protein, carbs, all of that. Um, and you can kind of help that process, but it's allowing that client to, to then build out what they like. So I was like, Hey, you know, um, you know, you should have Brussels sprouts. And they're like, I 
hate Brussels sprouts. You're like, okay, well, then there goes my meal plan that I just wrote for you, right? Um, so at some point too, it can be nice to have a little bit more dialogue there um, with the client. But I think that regardless of if you are, you know, I think people misunderstand tracking macros. Well, there's a lot of misunderstanding there, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people think or wrongly assume that they should be making new meals every day. They should be tracking different things every day. They should just be like putting meals together and tracking as they go. And that is how you're going to be super overwhelmed with tracking. Like if you're just like eating a meal and then you're tracking it and then you get like, you see, I never track on an app, but I would just write it down. But like, if you're on an app, right. And you're like, okay, this is like Jenga, like of like what else I'm going to have for the rest of my day. That's a terrible way to go about tracking macros. So even if you are tracking macros, especially, I would say this is for everybody. This, this really doesn't matter if you're a lifestyle client, performance athlete, or physique athlete. You should have an idea of what you're going to be eating on a meal-by-meal -meal basis, and you should be planning that ahead of time. Um, or at least knowing, going into the meal, hey, I'm going to have about 30 carbs, 40 protein, and 10 fat. It might change, but every time you sit down, you know, this is roughly what I'm going to eat, because otherwise, it is so overwhelming to just, like you said, there, 300 carbs, 180, that you're like... The whole day is just ahead of you. Like, what am I going to do? And that is so unnecessarily stressful. And then that is why people revert back to bad habits. So we really want to knock down that barrier. So it doesn't matter if you're tracking macros or not. It doesn't mean you're just kind of eating whatever you want, when you want. It just means that you're able to navigate and switch things a little bit easier, um, you know, if something comes up. And that, again, comes down to more of that flexible restraint and mindset with food, um, because Again, if you know whether you're on a meal plan or, you know, macros, let's say it is that example of, you know, 30, 40, 10, right? Okay, well, the meal that I brought, like, I forgot it, or I had to go to a work lunch with coworkers or my boss, or something came up, you know, I'm traveling and my food spoiled, I have to go to a gas station, like, literally think worst case scenario, what are you going to do? Okay, well, I know that I have these targets that I need to hit. How am I going to make it work? So it's not just like, I'm just going to haphazardly eat now. It's still, okay, within the constructs of this meal, and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to still make this instead of just going about your day. And then all of a sudden now for dinner, you're like drinking olive oil and like weird stuff like that. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, I, you know, had nothing left. So I had a protein shake and olive oil and you're like, um, oh, let's look at like beginning, like what, what were you doing earlier in the day? So like, we don't get here again. And then you see what breakfast was and you're like, well, this wasn't a really good allocation of our dietary funds. <laughs> so why don't we adjust some of these things? So I think that, um, you know, a lot of people, that is why meal plans have thrived for so long in the bodybuilding context, because I think that it, and that's why a lot of people who were using that approach talked so down, like down about flexible dieting, because, you know, the whole idea of like, Pop-Tarts and egg whites and protein shakes, like <laughs> that is, you know, maybe not the best way to approach it. Like every once in a while, like sure, but that shouldn't be like the crux of your diet. And I think that as always that pendulum swung super far because it was like, Hey, we have this cool thing now that we can use and still get really lean. So fuck you and your chicken and broccoli. So I'm going to eat this. And you're like, okay, like there needs to be a more of a middle ground. Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. Like, as I just in terms of the meal plans themselves, what kind of specific disadvantages have you seen? So starting off with a couple that you've mentioned kind of throughout there, like, first of all, I think one of the things is that people will, some people will tend to like fall into a very rigid structure where things just stay the same, you know, like for months, months on end, it's, it's just the same thing. Yes. And, uh, and don't end up having that variation. And then the other one is that people don't have the ability to actually go off plan if something happens. Yeah, like, as you said, if you suddenly can't, you know, fit in a meal and you play that bodybuilder game of let's walk into a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, that is where the flexible restraint is gonna come in, right? And like, you have to understand that something is gonna come up. I don't care how perfectly prepared you are, you know what I mean? Like there's gonna be times in life where things happen, you know? Um, so it's important to be able to navigate those things. Um, and, and really where I think the, the low variability can get very, very old um, for people. So that's, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, but this, I think really the crux of all of the issues was not being able to navigate things off of the plan, right? So mm -hmm. say you went somewhere and something was not on your plan, does that mean now that you have to either not eat or binge eat? Why is that happening? But that's what we see. We would see people who were not able to navigate social situations or any other type of situation that's involving food. Um, and then they would go, you know, 
they'd go ham on whatever it is, you know, like, oh, well, I had to go to this like work lunch. So I had like two baskets of chips and then I ordered like the, you know, whatever, like a quesadilla and then this, and I got a drink and you're like, we couldn't have gotten fajitas and like not had the tortillas. Like, like that would have been a better choice and kind of similar to maybe what you would have been eating, but instead, because it was off of your plan. And that's when you have that black and white thinking, it's just like, oh, I'm either on hundred percent or I'm off hundred mm-hmm. percent. And that is what a huge issue is. Um, with any type of rigid plan or rigid mindset around food is that you're never able to navigate situations. And that's why people always end up failing. Like you can get back on that meal plan or any plan, right? Like any, like any kind of diet, right? You can get back on that for a certain amount of time. But if you're not actually learning how to apply that in really any situation, you're never going to be successful because there's always going to be times where you're with people who like, you know, they're going to eat this way um you know we just got through the like the six the last six weeks of the year which is always like a lot you know what i mean like there's just so much going on between like social events and family gatherings and friend gatherings and like holidays and like it's just it's that time of year where everything is happening right and if you were to say um oh okay well you know i'm when i'm with these people i drink a lot or they drink a lot and when i'm with these people they eat a lot or we go and do these things and you are already setting yourself up for like well i can't be on plan so mm-hmm. last six weeks of the year doesn't really matter well every time the end of the year comes up you gain 10 or 15 pounds and you can work that back down but what's the point of doing that if we're gonna have to right like there, we have to really be able to navigate that um and as a competitor i have seen the biggest changes when we work with this with our clients um especially in the post show period which Mm -hmm. as we know is one of the hardest things to deal with like prep is hard um but nothing is as hard as the first month after a diet (laughs) um like that first month post-show is so challenging for so many reasons um so if we've worked with clients on this mindset before prep then when they prep because what what happens after prep Everybody wants to go out to eat. Everybody wants to go hang out. Everybody wants to go do this. You want to go do things, right? Like, like these are just normal things that are happening. And if we haven't worked on this, then it's like, oh, well, the show's over. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm going to go eat and drink whatever I want for this month. And then you're like, oh God, what have I done? You know, because your body is in such a sensitive place. And then mentally, you're just already really defeated and set up in a position to be like, okay, so my, my choices are either I diet again, which is not a good choice, um, or I continue down this path, or I actually like learn how to navigate my relationship with food. So most of the negatives all stem from this idea of this like black and white thinking when, we, when it comes to food. Um, and I think that, you know, in the bodybuilding specific industry, I think a lot of reasons why people would struggle with meal plans too, was that you know, they would say, Hey, I want to substitute this, or can I have that? And the coach would be like, no, because I said so. Yeah. And there was never really a good answer. So I think a lot of the psychological issues that we were seeing from that was not necessarily just because of the meal plan, but because of the interaction with the coach because of said meal plan, right? Like mm-hmm. that's where I think a lot of what we were seeing. And that's why I said in the beginning, like maybe I wrongfully demonized meal plans it's not that meal plans are bad or they don't work it's how people apply them in the context that they share them mm-hmm. yeah no great points yeah and i think it's kind of been perpetuated by yeah a lot of the, the the old school coaches who just said you know you've got to have tilapia and brown rice like or whatever it is <clears throat> and they they obviously you know are worried about clients fitting in things that might have hidden hidden fats or carbs or whatever yeah. but uh, <laughs> obviously you know it can be taken to the extreme understandable at some point like we you know we said okay can you fit your targets and have egg whites and pop tarts yes is that maybe the best choice probably not so is there a balance there you know what i mean to being able to moderate those types of things and have that every once in a while um so rightfully so i think that a lot of what we saw in practice as far as ifym when it first you know became popularized did get, you know, a little botched up. <laughs> so yeah. I do think that it, I think everybody went through a phase. I don't know if you did, but I certainly did that the first time you were like started tracking, you're like, how much shit can I fit to my day? <laughs> and like still have normal meals, but like also what else am I going to eat? You know, like I think everybody does that for a little while. And then you're kind of like, wait, is this like, these probably aren't really like health promoting behavior. <laughs> um, and then also 
to be fair, say we do take the reins off, right? Say you aren't tracking and you haven't built up this mindset and you haven't built up this flexible restraint. Now, when you are surrounded by these hyper palatable foods that you're not, you know, you're not tracking, again, recipe for disaster. Like a lot of, a lot of what people saw issues with, with tracking, um, which is one of the issues that I have with it is that it detaches you from food and it only focuses on the number. So it's taking away that, like if the only way that you're regulating your intake is because you're measuring it, that's not really regulated. I mean, that is regulating it to a degree, right? But if I were to say, hey, like, you know, have a, you know, you weighed out a bowl of cereal, which is a serving and a half, right? But let's say we took that away. Are, are you aware of like the hunger cues? Are you aware of like the satiety? Are you aware of the portion size? Or are you just used to like tar? Okay, 60 grams, got it. And now when you're presented with these situations where say you're on a vacation or you're at a wedding or whatever, and now, oh, well, I can't track it. So I'm going to slam five pieces of cake. Okay, well, that's the same issues that we saw with the meal plan, but just with tracking macros because mm -hmm. we've detached from the numbers. I mean, we've detached from everything else besides the numbers. So that was a, it's interesting how they do parallel each other so much. Um, and it really does come down to, like I said, that, that flexible restraint and being able to moderate yourself. Yeah, no, I really like, I like that kind of approach and you know, the term flexible restraint. So yeah, the way I see it is that, I usually recommend that people try and have, you know, as flexible an approach as possible, but I do see, you know, the advantage of having had, you know, had some of that meal plan type approach at some point where they can kind of merge the two uh, philosophies mm -hmm. where you can have this sort of built-in structure in your head where you like walk in and say, you know, I normally like to have, you know, five or six meals per day and I'll usually divide protein up evenly throughout those and then carbs, maybe I'll bias a few more around my workout. Mm -hmm. And then so they can kind of unconsciously or ultimately, I think the goal is to have this all internalized well enough that you can just unconsciously just uh, hit your macros like a dream, right? Like in, without yeah. thinking, right? And, uh, and having kind of those, the marriage of those two concepts. And that should be the goal for like, you know, life after tracking, right? And that's what, you know, when I, I mean, I still... I still prep food. I still portion it out. Um, I'm just not necessarily adding it up to a certain total. Um, I'm still trying to have a certain amount of protein. So it's really important to be able to do that. So then people always say, well, how, how can somebody, how do you actually like maintain? And it's like, that's how now we're talking about bodybuilding. That's more specific in an off season. We're sometimes in a maintenance phase, but a lot of times we are in a surplus and we are pushing because for most people who are in physique sports, they need to build muscle, right? There's the rare client who doesn't really need to build any more muscle. Um, so for that person, we're going to be pushing a little bit more. And I would say it is harder um, to push consistently with the right intake, right? Um, the right, you know, macronutrient distribution without being a little bit more dialed in. Um, and then likewise for the diet, you can, you can get pretty lean while still you know, being a little bit more flexible with your approach. But as you get on that extreme end of getting really, really lean, dialing it in and, and being very on point is, is definitely necessary. Um, so I think that it's important for, you know, both ends of that extreme to recognize, okay, if we have an extreme goal, we're probably going to have to have more extreme measures um, on either end of it, um, you know, kind of like any bell curve, right? But it still can be within reason and still have this flexible restraint blanketed over it. Um, but yeah, it's certainly one of those things that it's like, I love talking about being able to maintain and, and be flexible with this approach, but the reality of getting down to, you know, sub 10% body fat for a female, like you're going to have to be, you're probably not going to be eyeballing that perfectly. You know, you're, you're going to probably need some mechanism, whether it's a meal plan or macros or some version of both. Um, and same for the off season. You know, most people are not going to push themselves consistently to eat that amount of food um, and, you know, to do things like keep the fat in check, but have the, the carbs high enough and keep protein high enough and have enough feedings. And, you know, so there does need, that does need to be dialed in on both ends of that. Yeah. When you get new clients, let's say we're talking about bodybuilders who are pretty early in their career and they haven't actually followed a meal plan or necessarily counted macros properly before how would you sort of navigate the process of getting them to that level of expertise? Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, we just need to start the tracking process, right? Mm -hmm. um, because everybody's going to pick it up differently and everybody's going to struggle with different areas. So we're going to, you know, we're going to start, I, I, whenever I start something new with a client, I don't want to say like, okay, here's what I think you're going to do wrong. Right. I like to just be like, here's what we're going to try to do. And then you go do that for a week or two. And then 
come back and we're going to adjust based on where you're lacking right because the client might client a might struggle with you know having a certain amount of meals and eating on a regular schedule client b might struggle with hitting their targets you know because they're all over the place client c might like right everybody's going to struggle differently so i like to just put it out there hey let's see where your issues are and then we can refine from there i would say the most common thing as far as trends go mm-hmm. when somebody's new to tracking is like we talked about in the beginning just being very overwhelmed with that kind of whole like what is the whole puzzle of this yeah. day so breaking that down and saying, all right, how many do you normally eat four meals? Okay, let's try to have four meals a day. And we're going to break up, you know, roughly, you know, like I said, a higher carb round training, you have the protein similar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that really helps people a lot. Um, you know, giving them ranges, whether it's meal ranges or just kind of macro ranges in general, like let's try to stick within these pockets and giving you enough direction is, is number one. Um, and then from there, we're going to say, okay, now, now we really want to like dial it in and, and be you know, kind of make those ranges smaller, you know, instead of saying, oh yeah, plus or minus, you know, 10 or 20, let's bring it down to like five-ish, right? Never expect, you know, I, you see some people who are like, you gotta be zeroed out on your, you know, your fitness tracker. I'm like, bro, you gotta relax. Um, that's a little much, right? Like, let's let's be realistic. Um, that's probably not gonna happen every day. And that's, that's okay. Unless you have the most perfect meal planning, like that would be the only time if you're eating the same thing every day. Um, but we're plus or minus a few grams, like we're doing pretty, pretty good. Um, and I really want somebody to be dialed in and, and really consistent and not having these big fluctuations. Um, and again, seeing where their issues are, is it because they're, you know, they are you know, really busy with their career. So they're struggling to go to the food store and prep meals. Hey, why don't we get some meals delivered? Is that going to work for you? Okay. Some people really struggle like, oh my gosh, I just totally forget to eat. Okay. Well, we need to set some type of mechanism in your planner and your phone and whatever we got to have these meals and we should have these times and not saying there's a perfect time for anybody to eat, but if it's three o'clock and you're having your first meal and then you're overeating at night because you're starving, well, we need to set some, you know, parameters earlier. Um, so I would really say just like starting slow, figuring out where the issues are that they need to work on, then getting more specific with it. Um, and I want to do all of that before we enter a deficit. I do not want anybody to enter a deficit before they know how to do that um, for a physique competitor. Obviously, again, if somebody is a lifestyle client, there's a lot of different ways that we can enter a deficit. Um, but if we're talking about physique client, they need to lay that foundation. Um, and even before that, so once we've gotten that down, then I want to add in some flexibility. I want to say, okay, now we have all these, all this structure in place. Mm-hmm. Now I want you to go have an untracked dinner, see what happens. It might blow up. It might go awful. I might get an update. Oh my God. Okay. What, what went wrong? Right. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I can't guess because there could be five or 15 different responses. So we see where the issue was and then we correct that for the next week. And then we make these little micro adjustments and then they get better and better. And now they're handling the untracked wheel. Perfect. Okay. We add in a second one. Great. Now we have a whole day. Cool. So we might have somebody who's starting, who doesn't really know how to track, you know, dial that in, get really, really consistent. Um, and then we're going to add in some flexibility and then I would want to start a diet. So when somebody comes up, um, you know, like, let's just say, Hey, I've never done a show before, you know, I've tracked my food off a little bit. Um, you know, I work out, but I want to do a competition. Like when can we do that in like 12 weeks? No. Um, I'm like, all right, let's reverse engineer like a year, a year. Yes. And that could be a big overshot, right? Like I might, like you might pick this up really quickly, but the chances are you're probably going to need many months to not only build the right physique underneath, because again, most people need more muscle for their division, um, but two, to get your nutrition and your habits down pat before we can even enter a, a diet. And if we're being, you know, realistic, let's just give ourselves six months for you to prep because you're probably going to need to get leaner than you think that you do. And it's going to take you longer than you would like. Um, you know, of course, there's obviously the discussion of enhanced versus not, um, but let's just say for the discussion of not being enhanced, mm-hmm. you want to be as slow as possible with your diet. I um, mean, even if somebody is enhanced, I mean, the reality is you're, you can still lose muscle <laughs> in a diet um, and, and haphazardly dieting for a competition, no matter how many drugs you're on, it's not a good idea for a lot of reasons. So, um, you know, there, there can be obvious differences there, but I would say that a longer prep is probably going to be better. There is a point of diminishing returns. Like at some point it's like, all right, we got to pack this up. Like we got to get on stage, (laughs) um, because there's a lot of other issues now that are happening because you've been this lean for this long. Um, but for anybody who's starting, I would say that that's kind of where you should begin and give yourself about six months for that process. Like actually dedicate a year to this and say like, yeah, what could I do like in this six months or a year? Like you can do a lot and you can completely change your relationship with food for the rest of your life. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that a lot of people have this uh, vision of bodybuilding, bodybuilding very, being very unhealthy from the nutrition aspect. But if you can find sort of a healthy approach to it, it, actually, it can actually be a really positive push in, in your life. Oh, there's so I mean, there's so many benefits to like, it, a lot of people look at the negatives, right? And I think that the negatives stem of course, there can be poor nutritional practices, right? Like, I'm not going to say that there's not. Um, there certainly are. But say we take that away. Um, I would say that there's still the potential negatives of getting really, really lean a lot of times and not giving your body enough time to recover, right? So if you engage in a really harsh diet and then you, you know, eat what you want for three months and then diet again, and you do that four years in a row, you're going to have some problems. <laughs> That's not necessarily the diet's fault or bodybuilding's fault. That was, that was, the approach that you took. Um, so there is, you know, there are some things you have to, you know, be aware of as far as like hormonal changes. Um, and of course, like down regulation of just a lot of different things metabolically. And um, also the psychological component of bodybuilding, you know, if somebody is not prepared, I think for how, not just how hard the diet is, but how hard the actual, you know, the, you're getting judged by strangers on what you look like. And I don't think a lot of people are prepared for that. They see what it looks like to be on stage. Um, they see the pictures. They see the Instagram posts. Like, like it looks so glamorous. Um, but at the end of the day, there's one winner. And if you're not that winner, and you're not prepared to not be that winner, um, and you've put your whole life into this, um, you might be hit with a harsh reality afterwards. And you might be like really tying your self worth and confidence into that. And that's where you go down a really bad path. And um, so that's what I would like to try to tell clients. Like, listen, if we're doing this. This is because you want to do it and you have these goals and this is why you, you genuinely want to do this and work towards this. Um, you might win, you might get last place and you have to be prepared for that. We're training to win. We're training every single day to win. Every training session, every cardio session, every meal that you don't want to eat. We're doing this for first college. We're doing this for first place, whatever it is. But if you don't get that, it doesn't change you and your worth as a person and you can't do more shows to try to fill that void. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, well said. I just want to take a minute and plug Lauren's upcoming new course. Oh, What's it going to be on? Tell us about you? it. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, thank you for that shout out. Uh, so yes, this is our first course ever. I'm so excited. Um, so one of our coaches, Sam, she used to be a teacher. And I'd wanted to do a course and I'd kind of thrown this around. And then she, we went to a, a, a business event and she was like, I think we should do a course. And I was like, oh my God, yes, perfect. <laughs> so it's all about the foundations of nutrition. So basically all the ins and outs of like calories, like what are protein, carbs, fats, reading a food label, like how to set up daily planning, um, you know, uh, micronutrients, a little bit about supplementation, like the basics, and then also just tying that all together with like mindset consistency uh, and all that. So I'm really, really excited um, to finally share that. It's an eight video series and um, each part has a video and then a, you know, kind of a synopsis, uh, you know, takeaways, and then also like a worksheet. So some prompts for you to think about, um, you know, when you're going through this to really be able to complement the video series. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be fun for people to check out if you want to get yeah. uh, a little bit more teaching on this nutrition stuff. Uh, Moving on, okay. I was thinking we could talk a little bit about a couple more practical tips and maybe a few specific scenarios. Yeah. So sure. in terms of people getting good at macro tracking, mm -hmm. uh, one of the one of the sort of routes that you could take is, you know, start off, as you mentioned, with a more structured approach where people have a pretty good idea of what they want to have, in, you know, in each meal, but then starting to have little substitutions, like the way I like to see it is kind of mem remembering or looking up a few different substitutions for things that you might commonly eat for, for example, for me, I'd be like, okay, for, for this meal at lunch, I could either have like a hundred grams of rice or it could have, or it could have like 50 grams of dried, dry oats, like after, um, before cooking them. And then, um, just having that in my head. And then as you learn more and more of those substitutions, eventually you get into a place where you can start playing around with it more. What other kind of tips do you have for people to, you know, try out? Yeah. And I would say to really, you know, when you're first learning to track, right. A big part of it is just kind of seeing what that looks like. Right. And I think that that's where we can get really detached with the food scale to say, okay, yeah. we're weighing it out. Okay. Here's hundred grams, but you put hundred grams or 200 grams in front of me. Like, what does that look like? Right. So really paying attention to what that looks like when you're weighing it out, 
because now, I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I don't know how many times I've weighed out 16 grams of nut butter. I can take a spoon. Yes. I, I got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I got it. If I don't, it's like, Ooh, I gotta, I mean, maybe I need to start measuring it for a little bit to like get this skill back. But like, I, you know, when it's not 16. <laughs> um, so it, but I've only known that because I really paid attention. Right. So a big part of this is paying attention to what you're doing, because then that's when you're able to go out to eat and figure out, okay, well, is this enough? Is this kind of low? Is this kind of high? Um, you know, what's roughly a portion? Like, let's say you go to like a, like a bowl, like a bowl place where you can make your own bowl. Okay. Well, you're watching what they're putting in there. Um, and maybe you're watching everybody else's or like, like a, a really common, let's say Chipotle, right? Cause everybody has Chipotle. Um, you're like, all right, I've seen these bowls before. Like, I kind of know what's in them. Um, let me make some substitutions. So let me have half a, half the serving of rice and let me have the beans because it'll add some extra protein. And depending on your goals, you might need to have one serving of protein or two, right? And then you can say, all right, I'm going to do the veggies and maybe I'm not going to do like the cheese, guac and um, sour cream, right? I'm going to pick one added fat and maybe I'll put that on the side so then I can measure that and eyeball that easier. Um, so the, that's another way you can make substitutions. And that's where you can say, okay, say I'm traveling or I'm out or whatever. You're able to look at something and say, okay, I'm going to have this sandwich. Maybe I need to have double meat and half the bread because that's going to be roughly what this would fit for my target. Um, and just really challenging yourself to try new things in that way, right? Like there are, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about being consistent, right? And there's a lot to be said about like prepping ahead of time and whatever. And, and like, we talked a lot about that as far as like, it's really important, but also saying, okay, I do need to like try other things, <laughs> whether it's like cooking a fresh dinner or going out to eat or doing whatever. Um, and then to counter that though, I would say that one of the biggest hangups I see over and over and over again is people not prepping food. They're just thinking mm. because they're tracking macros, they don't need to prep food. And um, I'm, I hate to break it to you guys, but you're never going to be successful unless you prep food. I mean, I don't know who has the budget to eat out on every meal. I mean, that's like absurdly expensive. You know what I mean? Even if you had the budget, I'd be like, oh, probably like I would probably put that money elsewhere. Right. Um, yeah. And just from a consistency, consistency perspective, it can be really, really tough. Um, so people just think that because they're tracking macros, they can just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stick scan this. That's fine. I'll just figure it out. And you're like, um, let's actually prep some stuff. Um, mm -hmm. makes it a lot easier on you. And then you don't have to think about it and there's no decision fatigue. It's already in there. You're just executing. Um, and yeah, I would say that's, that's, I don't know why, but that's such a consistent thing that I see with people. Um, but say you are really busy, say you're going through, like you're moving, you're traveling, you got something going on, you got kids. Okay. What are some places, what are some things that you can do and strategies to mitigate that? I can order food. Um, you know, I can have groceries delivered. I can order from a food prep company. I can go to my favorite bowl place or whatever it is, and I can get, you know, several meals and save them for my lunches. You have to think ahead like that. And that is what, um, you know, when you have flexible restraint, one of the characteristics that we see is that people have better like long-term planning and they're less impulsive. And that's what that comes down to. It's not just like, oh, it's time to eat. I'm starving. I have nothing. Okay. No, we already thought ahead and we planned this and it doesn't have to be exactly perfect to the T, but it's a lot closer than, you know, going to Starbucks and grabbing a cake pop and caffeine. And then you're like, oh, well, why am I feeling so like shitty? And then you go and grab more of that. And then it's like dinner time and you're like, I want to eat everything. And uh, that's what we're really trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, picking up some we've all been there, like, like <laughs> was, uh, yeah, one of the, you know, I like how you mentioned that it's really important for people to really focus on getting an idea of what portions look like. And that is one of the issues that people run into with the kind of counting macros approach is that they just look at the scale and just not, not even look at the, of how much that is. So yeah, one of the games I'll play is, you know, I will play like guess the portion or like, so when I measure my meals, I'll say, okay, I want hundred grams of chicken breast. So I'm going to like cut this piece and then drop it on the scale without looking at the scale number and then look, look after. And I think that's an awesome thing for people to do. Like, yeah. you know, because if, if you do that for every meal, like it doesn't take you more time. And you're just, all I do is like, I'll just cover the scale number with, with my hand while I'm spooning my rice in. I'm okay. Like 175 grams and then check. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. And uh, you it's, learn, you learn, you learn fast. That you way. do. And it's good. Like <laughs> I've, I've tracked food for 
years, right? So now I don't actively track, right? Like I don't weigh everything, I don't know, whatever. Um, but there's always things, there's certain things that I, I do. And then there's um, there's other things that I just like, okay, like I'm I'm gonna test my skills like that. Like how, how good am I still? Like, am I still good? And then it's like right on point. I'm like, yep, I'm not good. <laughs> like, once you've done it for long enough, if you have paid attention, you know when it's off, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of lying to yourself and you're like, no, no, this, this is one serving of nut butter. And it's really like three, you know, like, oh, it must've been the spoon. You're like, you know, it's too big. Um, so I think that as part of it is, is, is having that foundational knowledge. But then once you have that, holding yourself accountable, which is why tracking works so well, because it's forcing you to be accountable. Um, but it's not the only way to be accountable, right? For me, what I find to stay accountable now is, you know, prepping my food ahead of time. So I have something and I pretty much plan out I'm having three square meals and a fourth protein serving. That's how I keep myself accountable. And obviously there's some fluctuations in there, you know what I mean? Um, because I'm not tracking diligently, but that range is a lot smaller if I, than if I didn't have any of those kind of plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to, to focus on was um, thinking about satiety and you mentioned it earlier and it's, that's, I think that is the other part of the equation. So like when people, when people eat uh, thinking about how full did this make me and what did I eat? And the other thing is how you know palatable is that food? Because when you're having something that's really delicious, it can kind of skew things a little bit. So um, sort of triangulating those variables. Yeah. And keeping track. <laughs> of those things can really help. And ultimately you want to get to the point where, yeah, you can, by, by knowing, you know, eyeballing a food composition, knowing, you know, how tasty it is for you and then how full it made you, like how full you are, you should be able to control your, uh, your portions. Yeah. And also being realistic with yourself again here too. Right. Um, I think that, you know, I would say that I have a pretty great relationship with food now. I didn't for most my entire life um, between like eating disorders and bodybuilding and, you know, mm. it's just a lot. So now I feel like I'm finally like, I actually can, you know, regulate myself pretty well. Um, it took a lot of years to get there. Um, but there are still certain things that I know, like this probably is not like ice cream is my, my weakness. It always will be. It's just one of those things for me. Right. So, and it's not because I have a bad relationship with food or I can't moderate myself. It's just one of like, it's like my one thing, right? It's my Achilles heel. So when I keep a whole thing, ice cream around the house, like, am I just challenging myself in an unnecessary way? Do I really need that much ice cream? Probably not. So if I really want something that's like more indulgent, I go out to eat, I, like I go out and get it, or I get something that's smaller, like, you know, and kind of like a single serving type thing. Um, instead of like the whole big carton, right? Because for me, it's just like, this is just so stressful. Um, and it's like that one food for me, everything else, I'm like, good to go. That, so I think part of it too is knowing yourself, right? And then also like, if, you if you're struggling with something, um, you know, say like you love drinking soda, right? Like some people like, you know, we have certain clients who are like, I like, like I have like multiple a day of like the real kind, you know, not, not diet soda. Um, and it's like, all right, well, we need to maybe not have that at the house. And some people would say, well, you need to learn how to moderate that. And obviously I'm somebody who pushes like moderating your food intake a lot, but that just might be too much, right? It's like, you know what, maybe only have soda when you go out or you just buy one, you know, like for the week or whatever it is, like there has to be some type of fail safe for you because everybody's going to be a little bit different. Um, and in a perfect world, we can moderate everything perfectly and we can moderate our food intake, our emotions or everything, but you know, there's certain things you have to say, all right, like, I know I'm going to pop off if this happens. So I'm going to avoid the situation probably, or, Hey, if there's this gallon of ice cream, like, <laughs> I, I might be, you know, getting into it. So it's just, you have to also know yourself and say, okay, I need to put myself in, create an environment that is putting me in the right position, um, continuing to push myself in other areas, but also being realistic with where am I failing? And I don't think that it's a bad thing to do. And really what I think is most people don't want to sit down and, and actually recognize what they're going to struggle with. You know, like they're like, ah, oh, I don't really know if I want to hear about all that <laughs> or if I want to actually, um, you know, address that. So they're just like, no, no, it's fine. And then they keep failing with it every week. No, just say, you know, this is a really big struggle for me right now. And we're going to work on all these, all these other things, but we're going to take this out right now. Yeah. Touching on a couple of struggles that people have, one of the common things is binging where when people say, okay, like I've gotten on a plan or I've started getting a bit more structured, but then they have a little break and then they go off. How do you like to go about helping people with that? 
Well, first, this goes all the way back to that flexible restraint, right? This goes back to teaching that before we go into a deficit, um, because we're not going to create that in a deficit, um, and we're not going to really create. Like, we're not going to create that at any point when you're in a challenge situation. So we need to create these habits when things are pretty consistent, pretty steady. Mm. Um, so it comes down to that. Number one, number two, recognizing why did you overeat, right? And there's a lot of reasons here. This could be opening a whole can of worms. Um, obviously, there's typically an emotional component when it comes to overeating. So that has to be dealt with and, you know, treaded carefully. And we need to get to a place where we're pushing a client to understand like what that struggle is, um, but it also recognizing as the coach when it maybe is outside of a, a behavioral modification that you can handle, right? Um, there's, there's a big difference of somebody who overeats every once in a while versus somebody with binge eating disorder. So I think that it's important as the coach to recognize, okay, where is this person? Um, and a lot of times it really does come down to the planning um, and just kind of recognizing what set them off, right? So mm -hmm. for a lot of people, um, you know, let's say that there is something that's really emotionally drained. When they have emotionally draining weeks, they'll turn to food. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have a binge eating disorder. You know what I mean? It just means that that is their way of regulating um, these emotions. And like when they're kind of like their tank is getting emptied, the first thing that goes is, is food. So I think first is sitting and recognizing like, all right, I had a really emotionally draining situation with a friend or a significant other or a family member. Mm -hmm. Okay. Every time this happens, I go home or I'm there and I, I turn to this. Okay, well, maybe we should, you know, again, have food prep, not set up your environment for success. All these things recognize that you might be going to that. If you find yourself in the kitchen, okay, you need to get out, you need to go do something. Okay. Um, the other thing too is recognizing like what, like what am, like where is that point that I'm turning, right? And I find that for a lot of people who have dealt with overeating issues, it's something that sets them off. And then there's like this kind of unsettled period of like, you're in the kitchen, you're kind of rummaging around and you're kind of like very anxious and you're whatever. So I like to have people like, let's remove ourselves from that specific situation um, and go do something lightly active. Like it could be, I'm not talking about like a workout, but I mean like go upstairs and like fold laundry or like clean your mirror or just go for a short little walk. Like something to get that like agitation out, I find really, really helps people. And again, this is not, if somebody has like true binge eating disorder, this can be a lot different. Um, but what I find that most people have is something to set them off. And it's usually like an emotionally draining situation or like, let's say it's work. They're like, every time, you know, this happens at work, like, I just feel like I can't do this. Okay. Well, as soon as you recognize that that week is going to be happening, we need to put some, you know, things in place. Need to make sure that we're training, need to make sure that we're getting sleep, need to make sure that we're hydrated, um, need to make sure that we're eating right. Because what, what, what happens normally is somebody gets really stressed with work. They're not drinking their water. They're slamming caffeine. They're maybe not sleeping and their diet's kind of piss poor. Well, you're setting yourself up to binge. <laughs> so the stressful week is what set it off, but your behaviors is what actually created this. So mm -hmm. it's about recognizing what is actually creating this, um, like what is triggering this event, you know, for lack of a better word. And then what are the behaviors that I engage in right up until the point that I do possibly overeat. And I think analyzing those, those things, which are very different for everybody, um, is really useful. And then, like I said, at some point, it might be out of your scope if it does become a very recurrent um, thing. And, and for the client who's dealing with it, um, you know, in a different way, emotionally, not like, oh, because I had a really stressful week or because I had a stressful conversation. Um, and then I had these, you know, five things fall out of place, then I overate. That's, again, a little bit different than I'm really struggling with binge eating disorder and, you know, multiple times a week I'm binging out of the, this emotional escape. And I'm, you know, all of that, like there's, there is a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, those are really good points. And I like how you talk about thinking about where your trigger is. And then once you identify it, then finding some kind of, uh, some kind of safety, like plan that you have, have set in place where you really focus on making sure you're supporting yourself. Like often with these kinds of things, it's kind of one link in the chain that breaks or, and that kind of cascades out. For example, oh, no. like for me, it'll be sleep where when I get, when I get really busy, the first thing that happens is like, I'll, I'll, you know, be sleep deprived. And then after that, I'm less efficient during the day. And then I like, I just run more behind and then it kind of cascades out of there. So people like knowing like for myself, it's like, okay, I'm going to really prioritize my sleep. I'm going to like schedule really aggressively to make sure I get things done throughout the week at some point. 
So like, yeah, for people just thinking about what sets you off and ways that you can kind of also replace that habit. Like, as you said, if you know you will turn to food then thinking like, yeah, like I'm going to go for a walk or call up a friend or something like that at that time. Yeah, it's Moving just on. about recognizing and reflecting, really. Yeah. Moving on to a couple other scenarios. The other thing is that people will struggle with transitioning out of the diet. So you, we touched on, you know, coming out of prep earlier, but a lot of people even just for a regular like cut or mini cut or something, they have trouble coming back uh, into maintenance or bulking. How do you suggest people go around that? Yeah, this is the hands down the hardest time. It doesn't matter who you are, how lean you are. Obviously the leaner that you are, the more challenging it is, um, mm -hmm. but it can still be a challenge nonetheless. So I would say first and foremost, getting calories up initially is mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. um, the first week needs to be a significant bump because the number one thing we're trying to avoid right now is an overeating episode. Um, mm -hmm. And because what ends up happening is when, so say somebody, and these are just going to be arbitrary numbers, say somebody is eating hundred carbs and you say, we're going to go to 300 carbs, which I wouldn't suggest that, but let's just say somebody's like, oh my God, what? I'm going to gain all this weight. Okay. Well, guess what's going to happen if I say, let's go to 120. You're going to do that for three days. And then you're going to have 5,000 calories. And you might do that twice that week. So what's actually worse? <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So again, hundred to 300 is maybe a little bit extreme, but the idea of having a pretty large jump initially so that the client is actually satiated and then working those untracked elements in right away. Cause again, just finished a cut. You just finished a prep. Hey, significant other wants to take you out to dinner. Hey, friends want to go grab drinks here. Hey, I've been wanting to try this new place. We're already going to work it into the plan because what's going to happen is you most likely want to go do it. And then you're either not going to do it and then be really resentful and then maybe go off plan anyway, or you're going to do it and then not tell your coach and then feel really guilty. <laughs> so if I just say, Hey, here's permission to do this. Here's your targets earlier in the day. I want you to go have one dinner out this week. Um, you know, be mindful, have protein, you know, drink your water, like moderate your portions, but you know, have what you've been wanting. If you really want this like new craft cocktail, at this, you know, this fun bar have it. You want to split this dessert, go for it. Um, and then that way the person's like, Oh my gosh, like this actually like is part of my plan. I can do this. And I want to stay on the plan outside of this and a lot of times for that first after that first bump i might not even bump things for the next few weeks because the first bump is is pretty large um, mm -hmm. but we really want to get satiety back we want to get training you know a little bit better we want to get sleep better and all of those things go together with more calories um, but it's in a controlled way versus just like yeah i'll just bump it a little bit and i'm pretty low because what i was seeing is that everybody would try that and then just fail miserably um and it just it, it delayed the inevitable anyway you're gonna you're gonna gain the weight um we need to gain weight most likely especially if we're talking about a competitor um but i just found that more more people would gain more and be in a worse place mentally when they did it that way so now it's just larger jump initially um adding in that untracked element again we've already hopefully done this before we've dieted right so that helps um and we're still it's still very structured it's still like here's what else you're doing for the rest of the day it's just one meal that we're gonna have that's a little bit off um and then i find that people respond way better with that mm -hmm. yeah no that's a great point and yeah and i think having people come back to maintenance you know uh right away out of the diet and having a good, really good idea of what maintenance feels like, I think mm -hmm. is really useful for everyone uh, across yes. the board, just because you want to have that kind of home-based place that you can just know, okay, I'm going to go back to that. Mm -hmm. Instead of always dieting or huge surplus, right? Because that's mm -hmm. what most, most people live in both of those. And <laughs> when you're in either of those, you're kind of miserable and want to go to the other. So when you're in a really harsh deficit, you want to go to a high surplus. When you're high surplus, you want to go back to the deficit. So it's like, no, let's actually figure out like what this feeling is. And we're having to do that hopefully before we've engaged in any kind of diet. Mm -hmm. Solid. And yeah, last, last thing, I think one more uh, fun topic, I think has been super uh, fruitful, but uh, tips for eating out when you're on really tight macros. So I... I tell people like it's like, I used to always travel and deep into prep. So when somebody says I can't stay on track, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, where did you go to eat? Because I've been a lot of places. <laughs> um, and you can make this work anywhere. So I don't care how low your numbers are, you can order a lean protein and a vegetable. You can do it. Um, I um I always try to use this example. So I did a show in Italy one year. Mm -hmm. 
and um, traveled over there. And I did it like they at this point didn't give two fucks about what food you brought in. I just didn't know. I thought, okay, I'm not going to bring everything over. And then I get like thrown away. Right. So I brought like some tuna packets and like some Ezekiel bread, but like nothing really, you know, like meal wise. So when we got there, you know, like Italy is, is, you know, not that it's known for, you know, super calorie, like extravagant calorie dense food, but like, they're not really trying to like, you know, moderate or like uh, modify, let's just say that. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, asking like the hotel, like eggs, how do I like ask for eggs? Cause they don't eat, they don't eat eggs for breakfast, which is a shame because they're like the most distilled to this day. Some of the most gorgeous eggs I've ever seen in my whole life. Like, like, I mean, bright yellow. And it was hilarious. I'll never forget this. I was sitting and I ordered egg whites and eggs and I had my own bread. Right. And there was this, like, they brought it out, you know, all these plates and stuff. And uh, like, there was this couple sitting by me and they were just like, oh, like looking at me, like, oh my God, look at this. Like, it's probably stupid American. Right. <laughs> and just like looking at me and mind you, this chick has like a, like a plate of pastries. And I'm like, bro, like, for, what what does this look for right now? <laughs> like, like I don't I don't understand. I'm just trying to get some eggs here. Like I don't know why nobody else is ordering. Like do you guys see these eggs? Um, so literally ordered eggs with my own Ezekiel bread, and every meal I ate, I had chicken, vegetables, small amount of potatoes, and I just assumed that everything was cooked in oil because it's Italy, so everything's cooked novel. <laughs> um, and I did that for two days before my show, um, and I was like, if I can peak in Italy, you can eat <laughs> at a restaurant almost anywhere. You know what I mean? And it mm-hmm. just comes down to what do you want to, do you want to say no to stuff? Do you want to make modifications? Cause that's really what it comes down to. Um, every restaurant is going to have a piece of meat, every restaurant. Um, I mean, I guess, unless you go to a vegan restaurant, but mm-hmm. okay, look, I'm like, okay, not every restaurant, <laughs> 99% of restaurants are going to have that. And almost everywhere is going to have a vegetable and you can ask for it to be steamed. You can ask for it to be grilled. You can ask for it to be without butter and oil. So if we're talking like true, no, no, like low macros, that, like fish and veggies or like a lean, like a sirloin and that like you can make it work. And um, what I would say, obviously too, is to stay away from multi-ingredient things. It just gets too complicated. Um, You know, if you're going to get like a carb, I would say get like a baked potato or a sweet potato, um, you know, plain. And then again, if you've done this work and you've, you've weighed it before, you can say, okay, I have an idea of how much this is. Um, And though trying to get those things, there's not going to be stuff like snuck in. Like, you're not like, yeah, this pancake looks low fat. Like it's not like we all know it's not get the oats instead, <laughs> get the piece of bread. Um, and for certain things, especially because everybody knows that most restaurant foods um, are going to have a little bit more fat, I would say be really, really tight with carbs when you're eating out. If you are look, on a super low, uh, low plan right now, be tight with carbs. Um, and that's something that you can control outside of that. You know, it's really easy to get carb sources that are, you know, just carbs, like getting fruit um, or rice cakes or oats or something like that on a, at a different time. Um, I would say that's always my best pet is like meat, veggies, assume there's some oil if they're not going to take it off. Um, and then, you know, the added carbs are just going to be from additional, just like mostly carb sources that I can eat, you know, at a different time. Yeah, no, those are great tips. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that uh, you want to basically fix the type of the cooking method. So yeah, like just telling them like, I just want this grilled and uh, without any oil. Like, like, it's it is not hard as long as you're not like a dick about it. Like nobody cares, you know, like a lot you're like, Oh, don't cook my stuff. Like, no. Hey, um, you know, would you mind not cooking this? Uh, would you mind steaming this? They're like, sure. <laughs> Can I get this dressing on the side? Sure. Um, are you getting a salad that has like three high calorie toppings? Maybe just get one of them, right? Like it's all about making those choices. I mean, if you're, if you're low on macros, I probably wouldn't get any toppings like that, but in a normal setting. So it's all about choices and you're always in control of that. And I, I think that a lot of times people externalize that control especially when they go out to eat like oh no i can't order that you're like yes you can <laughs> um you're the one who's making the decision to eat this or this time i was like i think i was a high school kid one of my friends went to some like restaurant and asked for a steak raw <laughs> and they didn't give it to him that was so funny Dude, um, yeah, they're like um we have to at least <laughs> has to be food safe <laughs> But uh, yeah, those are some great tips. I also really liked how you you said you can control your carbs, right? And carbs are one of those things where it's it's really easy to find pure carb sources on your own. 
and there there are times when you go to, go out to eat where I mean it's really about the social aspect and just being there with your friends and being able to have something that's pretty substantial like as long as you have your your meat and veg that's 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 a meal and you can always make up those carbs outside listen if you're dieting and you're low on macros you're going to be hungry anyway so just you're already used to it right like i like i think of it that way like i think if people focus so much on that like they're missing the whole aspect of like you said you're not socializing because you're worrying about this and you probably would have been hungry at home anyway so just be hungry <laughs> just go out and have fun eat your fish and veggies or your steak and vegetable whatever it is um enjoy it and recognize like you made this choice to diet you're probably going to be hungry as a side effect but you still want to have a social life. And I find the clients who are able to do that. Um, I know that my last prep was so much better because of that. Like I try, I didn't stop my life for that. I obviously made certain choices. Um, and when I traveled places, I was like, all right, I'm going to say, I want a kitchen here, or I'm going to go to the food store as soon as we land. But, you know, ultimately I wasn't like, no, 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 can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm still going to do stuff and make the modifications that I need. Um, and that way you still have a fulfilling life. And then you're also going back to that last question, probably less likely to have an issue afterwards. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but you're going to have less of an issue afterwards because it's not like I haven't been to a restaurant in six months. You're like, oh, I just went two weeks ago. So it's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great stuff. This has been really high value this episode. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. Where can people find you? So my website or our website is teamlocalfit.com. It has all the information um, that you could possibly ever want. <laughs> so we have a newsletter you can join. We have a, we do have a podcast called the Team Local Fit Show um, that's on all podcast platforms. Our team Instagram is at Team Local Fit. We put out a ton of educational content on there as well. And then my personal page is at Lauren Conlin, L-A-U-R-I-N. Uh, and then you'll be able to check that out. I uh, I try to do a good job, but I often on post <laughs> but we put a lot of effort into our podcast um it's myself the coaches we have a mental health counselor who comes on as well and then we interview guests um every once in a while too awesome great stuff yeah so i will i will link to the description and thanks for being on the show thank you so much i really appreciate it. if anybody has any questions you can um send us an email through the website as well awesome that's all for now guys thanks for listening i am available on a very limited basis for one-on-one coaching I'm not cheap, but if you are really serious about taking your physique to the next level, DM me the word coaching on Instagram. For more science-based bodybuilding content, look up Dr. Swole on YouTube, and we'll see you next time.